get up by it. I told her she gotta come try it. They wondering what I've been doing. I told them I'm keeping it quiet. I pull up, you know I be moving. Whipping the four and I'm cruising. The money I'm speaking is fluent. All of my business booming. Stacking my cash in abundance. All of my family funding. Finally got what I wanted. Life is amazing. I love it. Everyone know that I'm running. Yeah. Wait, did you already start the recording? I'm starting right now. <laughs> Okay. Ergonomics and human factors. <laughs> my friend, what is... Well, we have an expert in the house today. An expert, today. oh my goodness. An expert in ergonomics and human factors. You have three quarters of a degree in ergonomics and human factors. Uh, but with major changes and such, I'd probably say more like half. Three quarters of a degree. 1.75. Okay, ethos. Didn't we learn this in English freshman year? Yeah. Ethos. You had to sound like you know what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. What is ergonomics and human factors? Okay, well, ergonomics and human factors, simply put... Tell me, Dr. Allenby. Simply put, is the study of work and how it is done and accomplished. Well, that's the definition of ergonomics. Okay. The study of work and how it's done and accomplished and human factors is more of a narrow thing that goes into that relating to how these things that we do, these tasks that we carry out and complete can be improved upon, made more efficient, just to make our lives easier. Okay. So what's like a real world example of application in ergonomics and human factors? Literally everything. Let me think of a good example that's interesting, but literally anything you can think of is probably an example. Um, one that I give people a lot when they ask me about human factors is um, lane assist in cars. Okay. So, you know, you have a car that has a camera that records the ground and sees where you're entering and exiting lanes, and it'll beep when you get close to the lane. So, it prevents you from making an error that could be dangerous or could cause some sort of problem, and so that's how ergonomics and human factors kind of plays a role in making things safer or more efficient. So it's just like how you can improve the human interaction with yeah. the technology we create. Yeah. A major part of it is user experience. A lot of the times when you see jobs relating to human factors, ergonomics, and that kind of career path, UX or user experience is the term that's used. And usability is a major factor. Now, is that just enjoyment and using uh, like a, a good like a product? Or is that like efficiency in using the product? It's both. Okay. But um, with products that aren't necessarily made for recreation, applications that are simplified and optimized kind of serve both those purposes, if that makes sense. So another example that I did a little write-up on was um, – like e-commerce, like marketplaces and things like that, and how they have features that make it easier to find the information you're looking for. And, eBay, uh, for buy example. eBay, yeah. Or even the thing that popped into my head instantly was Amazon and how obviously every major website does most of the same things because they know what works now. But um, they'll have tabs and categories that show you what you want. And something that Amazon implemented you know, with Prime is the buy now feature. So you don't even have to add something to your cart. Just one go click. through the option. Yeah, they have a one-click buy now feature where you can just instantly get it. And That's sell. dangerous. Yeah, definitely dangerous. But good for business. Optimizing a lot of processes so that they're quicker, 
and easier for people to finish. You save 30 seconds per item or whatever. Which, if you shop like some people shop, then it's a lot of time. And on top of that, your goal, not necessarily from the aspect of like the buy now button, but um, with the interface of your website and how things are presented, you only have so much time to present information to someone so that they can understand it or retain it. And it's not as much of an issue in sales because you go to a website with the intent of buying something from them. Right. But if you're trying to gain information on something or learn something, like or marketing, watching, like in a marketing perspective, or yeah, an education, like in a marketing perspective, but then also in like just a recreational. I guess that still goes into marketing, like somebody, like an influencer or something. But you want the information to be presented simply and quickly so that people will want to interact with it. Yes. Yeah. Because people aren't reading textbooks trying to find out what they want to buy. Yeah, exactly. And if you do, you're weird. Yeah. And time is money. So any time that can be saved by using something that's been made simple is a win for the consumer and even the uh, seller. I couldn't think of another word. (laughs) The seller, I guess. Okay. (laughs) How much is like this field is in like the cutting edge of technology and how much of it is improving what we previously created? So most of it is based on improvement. So taking something that's been implemented or is in use which makes sense and finding how it can be yeah. changed, you know, whether it be through studies or experimental feedback that's gained from participants or something or even like I have the iOS 14 beta on my phone okay. and there is an app that's pre-installed when you have beta packages or beta – I can't think of the word. I'm not – whatever. But the feedback app is installed on the phone for you to reply with issues or things you like or anything along those lines to Apple so that they can directly take that information and decide what works, what isn't working what do people like about this beta version Mm -hmm. as opposed to the current version of iOS that's already out. And so a lot of it is definitely based on improvement, but research and development teams for companies do also have human factors, scientists, or people in that realm that kind of take their ideas and then put them through that vetting process to find out what works and what won't work. I feel like their job is like, successfully trying to reinvent the wheel over and over again. Exactly. It is, really, when you think Which about it. It's kind of crazy yeah. that they can successfully do that after, mm-hmm. I'm sure, thousands of attempts. Yeah, and sometimes those changes are really minor and simple, but other times they can be really complicated or in-depth. Like, one example that they gave us in class that we talked about was the early air, early airplanes and how um, the, land, the, the controls for the plane... The landing gear was the same type of lever as, I don't want to mess up the example, but it's not really relevant or necessary. I think maybe the flaps or the brakes, whatever the case may be, there were two two levers side by side that had different purposes. And there were pilots that were crashing planes because they were pulling the lever thinking they're lowering their landing gear. And they're actually engaging their brakes or lifting the flaps or something that isn't useful for what they're doing. Right. And so this was like the job of early people within the realm of human factors to say like, okay, this isn't an 
this isn't a case of human error, you know. I mean, yes, we could say these pilots need to memorize which one is which, but why not make the process easier for them? Right. And that is the heart of everything that is human factors and ergonomics, you know. Even though human error is definitely a thing, you know, a website could be complicated, but it can still be accessed. Somebody can do it. Right. So technically human error is a part of that, but why not make it easier? They're trying to minimize human error. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Put life on easy mode for everybody. Mm-hmm. Is there like a process of like for science, you have a scientific method. You form a hypothesis. You do X, Y, and Z, and you come to a result. Is there a process to this kind of science? So there are a few main, I guess, methods or processes that are used to determine how efficient something is. And what you're looking at determines what process you use. One thing that we recently talked about is heuristic evaluation, which is pretty much a set of criteria that determine how useful and how easy to use a product or service or anything like that is. That's what heuristics means? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like the accessibility of it, I guess. Yeah. And so, trying to think of... The examples of that are used within a heuristic evaluation are things that we think of all the time passively, but they're written out explicitly. I can't think of the exact names off the top of my head, but something like visual cues on a website that lead you to a certain place and uh, consistency is a big thing. So like if you have a set of categories and all of the categories are clickable links, and they have red boxes around them. But then you have another piece of information below that has a red box around it that's not a clickable link. Not clickable, yeah. You know, that's counterintuitive. And so that is something that is part of this evaluation process that determines how useful and usable something is. Do people who do this like take into account the transition from one norm to the other? Like, so say, what if all of a sudden... You know, usually you go into a website and all the the headers and stuff are at the top of the page. Yeah. What if the new convention becomes bottom of the page because that's more convenient for whatever reason? Would there be a reason for them not to do that just solely because of the transition and how difficult that would be for people? Um. Yeah, with some, I think, with what you're like hinting at, there are times where certain processes may be changed because a better way is found. But with the case of like headers, I mean, I mean, we call them headers, you know, it's with the case of like categories and tabs and things like that, it makes so much sense to have it at the top of the page because, you know, when you click on the website, you get to the page, the first thing you want to see is the breakdown of the information that you have access to so that you know if you want to go to shoes or shirts or pants, those are the first things you see to click on. But in a general sense, with like what you said, there's definitely times where things may be challenged or changed because something may work out better in the long run. I'm just thinking of an example of like, what if we just found for whatever reason it is so much more efficient to have the gas pedal on the left and the brake pedal on the right? I feel like even if it was 30% more efficient to do it that way for whatever reason, we wouldn't yeah. do it just because that transition period would be yeah, too Yeah, exactly. Painful. Which is... Part of the reason, like I said earlier, that it's 
solely based on improvement rather than new developments yeah. in things. Um, and with something that has serious implications such as that, I mean... Obviously, there's a lot of federal regulation that goes into yeah, stuff. Yeah, and then there's also happen, a large learning curve with something like that. In a vacuum. But, you know, yes. With something that has large implications, the change might not be worth the fallout that comes yeah. from it. The know? learning curve is too steep. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Not going to have fighter pilot controls in a car, even if it is more efficient. Yeah. Which I guess that's kind of yeah. what you get anyways. But with, you, depending on the... I mean, you look at the F1 cars... Might as well be a fighter pilot, you know, with yeah. all the buttons. They're on the called steering. pilots. Some people pilots, call them pilots. Yeah, so. But I guess that's where like computer automation comes in and that kind of stuff. How much do, like does ergonomics and human factors deal with automation? It is a major part of it, and so the even though I wish to pursue a graduate or master's type level degree in human factors and mm-hmm. cognition and things like that. Cognitive science is currently the label that my studies fall under. Right. And that cognitive science, yeah, it's vague, but cognitive science more so relates computer science and psychology together. So it deals heavily with processes and things like that that can be improved upon based on how we think and how we interpret things. But the whole branch and realm of cognitive science, cognitive psychology, it's, it's very vague and broad, but there's a lot of applications for it when you really get into it and narrow it down. Well, it's any action you could possibly think of doing. That's how broad it is, right? Oh, yeah, exactly. Literally, any task can be considered something that falls in that realm, even if it's something that's really simple or rudimentary. Like, even the process of <clears throat> you picking up the remote and turning on the TV, you know, that could be something that someone at some point used their knowledge and expertise in human factors to determine the best method. Hmm. The Why way, is the power button always either in the top left or top middle? The way the back some, of the remote some, curves so perfectly. Yeah, the, the, and that's, that's another thing that gets people confused. That's like a whole nother topic but the use of the word ergonomic to not only mean usability but also comfort a lot of the times nowadays when people hear the word ergonomic or ergonomics they immediately think comfort yeah so the first thing they think of when they hear ergonomic is oh this chair has arch support or something yeah but there's so much more that goes into it besides you know how well the tv remote fits in your hand or something like that i feel like Ease of use is a form of comfort. In a definitely, way. definitely. And it's part of it, which is why that expansion of the term came about. Because there, there is some basis for it to make sense. Hmm. It's just an ergonomic remote I have in my hand right now. Yeah, it, it really is. It's just form-fitting. And at some, at some point, it probably wasn't. It's probably blocky and square. and Which is something that... The points were digging into my hands. Yeah, yeah. The buttons weren't in the ideal or optimal place. So when some sick person has a power button at the bottom somewhere. So many things. I feel like a lot of that, though, is less about... I mean, you're obviously more of an expert on this than I am, but it's less about efficiency and more about convention. Yeah. Because I feel like if we just... If every remote forever and ever started putting the power button in the bottom right, in 10 years, we wouldn't know a difference, I don't yeah. think. Yeah, yeah. And there are some things, you know, that are simple 
where the way that it's done isn't necessarily important. You have this tissue box right here. The tissues could easily come out the side or something stupid like that. But then the people who are used to coming out of the top would just flip it on its side. But if it had always been coming out of the side, we wouldn't think much of it. Yeah. Or if all of our doorknobs and handles were on the opposite side of the door. I mean, certain doors are different everywhere. I was about to say, that's like, that was like a terrible example. Four different. We have four different doors. That was a terrible example. But I was trying to think of something quick. Like. Take your time. Yeah. I don't know. You know what I mean, though. You get the point of what I'm saying. Some things, it's not necessarily important why it's that way. But once that baseline is established, it's important to maintain it for simplicity for people. But there are some people, and I'm looking at you German engineers, that just like to over-engineer everything and have every ounce of efficiency out of everything. Yeah. Like, what do you say to those people? Or if the power button is in the right-hand side, you can get to a .005 seconds faster. And over the course of your lifetime, that'll save you two minutes. That's two minutes you can yeah. use for watching TV. I don't yeah. even know. Sometimes that level of innovation and this definitely isn't the only answer to this question but sometimes that level of innovation is a marketing point for people yeah that's why i love f1 exactly like you have this company that even though the extra minute you save by doing whatever task or process isn't important in the long run the fact that they can say you know we have the fastest service or you can carry out your daily duties the fastest if you work with our product. It's something that puts them above everyone else. And there's some people that just want to be the best of the best exactly. and the fastest of exactly. the whatever. And yeah. You have shoes that say, oh, if you wear this shoe, you'll run 3% faster. And you have shoes that tie themselves now. Yeah. So there's definitely some merit. And this kind of steps into why psychology is such a big part of human factors and cognitive science and all that. I mean, it mainly is psychology because so much of it deals with preventing human error or finding ways to limit it. But the way we think about things is so interesting and so shaped by what's around us. So it's important for people to be able to understand why we do the things we do before you can get to that level of understanding the best way to do something to help people what about like this is so off topic and random what about like safety manuals is that something people with that kind of degree go into or is that someone else's job i think i mean it because then be, you, you counterintuitively it, think about it you think about how people can do this wrong yeah so it could be the job of that person it usually falls in the hands of the person that manufactured whatever and I don't mean like a large manufacturer. I mean specifically. Yeah. So, <clears throat> it, it, but the job could, you have to have an understanding of the product and how it works. And how stupid people are. Which to is where be, I think the cognitive to, yes, science comes in. To be able to create that safety manual. So, in theory, yes, either someone who thought of the product and innovations or the next person in line who actually made the product they're technically the first ones who go through this vetting process to determine what is in the safety manual or user manual and what needs to be included, what shouldn't be included. 
And then after that, of course, it's mass produced. And, and, and like whatever. every manual and contract, there's always a reason and story behind every single "Don't do this." Don't. Yeah. Yeah. People are stupid. Very. I, I see this on a daily basis. People yeah. are stupid. There's so many. There's a lot of things that seem like they should be simple, but they aren't. For our loaner contracts at work, we have to specifically state every time we hand a car out to somebody, you cannot teach someone how to drive in this vehicle. Hmm. There's a reason for that. There's a, yeah, there's a reason for it. Can't take the car out of state. Well, there's, well, there's, there's like there's so many things. You can't smoke in it, obviously. Yeah. But you can't take it out of state because someone took the car to New York City, ran a red light, and then like hit someone. Mm-hmm. And then we had to go all the way to New York City to pick our car to up. Retrieve your, yeah. And soon we're going to be adding, you cannot take the car off-roading because that's, I don't know if I told that's you about that. That's something that people have done. The dude took the car onto the beach and then tried to tow the car oh, out. Oh, you did and, tell me that. And ripped the ripped, front yes, end of the car off. You did tell me that. Like, he must have been, he must have seen that clip from uh, Bad Boys for Life when, uh. Never heard of it, but okay. We, we watched it here. Did we? Remember Will Smith and Martin Lawrence? Oh, oh, oh When yeah, they yeah, had yeah, the yeah. Cayman and they went on the beach in Miami. Well, yeah. They went on the beach this, in Miami. This was a Cayenne. It's made for off-roading. <laughs> How do you get stuck in sand? Or like Emerald Isle. Like it wasn't even extreme yeah, off-roading. Yeah. I don't know. And he pulled it by the tow hook and ripped the subframe of the car off with it. That's how stuck the car was. Mm-hmm. But apparently he got it out when he did that. User's manuals. Very someone important. Had, imagine if someone... Imagine if we had a cognitive scientist that worked for us and said, you know what, you can't take the car off-road because somebody will do it. Somebody will do it and it's going to be bad. Would have saved you guys a lot of effort. Then again, we don't have speeding in our contract either. Now that I think about it, probably you should add that. And with that, you know, you would think it would be implied. Implied because it's also the law, but you never know. I think going off road is against the law, isn't it? I don't know. Actually, it depends on the place. Driving on a public beach probably is against the law. Yeah. Which is where I believe this guy was. Yeah, because usually beach access is reserved to police and like like city or county employees. So the lifeguards that work at the beach and stuff like or that. Or if you own an executive level car, you can go wherever you want and do whatever you want apparently. Yeah. That's what I've learned. Psychology. It's important. <laughs> yeah. I thought you were going into something with that. I mean, not necessarily. Like, so, psychology. Not necessarily. Study of... But whatever, whatever. Like I said, it relates to people hear psychology, and obviously they know it's like, oh, how do people think, and why do they act this way? But you don't really, until you sit down and learn about it or actually think about it, you don't know how much it plays a role in everything. I mean, psychology is everything, really. Obviously, there's you know the natural sciences and things like physics and mm-hmm. stuff like that. That's very important. But psychology dictates everything relating to us as people and human behavior. Do you think psychology can be explained by biology? As far as... So you talk about natural sciences. Could psychology just be considered an extension of that? Because your entire psychology is just an interaction of cells within your brain. So Supposedly. That, that, that is a thing that has been a topic of discussion. And psychology has become more of a... I guess... You could say natural science as the years go on. Mm-hmm. Originally, psychology wasn't even a subject of study. Psychology was just something within the realm of philosophy. Okay. Philosophers looked at their philosophical thoughts and 
they contributed that to how we think and things like that. But psychology itself wasn't a major I feel like subject. A lot of sciences kind of start as philosophy, though. Yeah, like astronomy, I think comes yeah. from that. And not until science really started to look into the brain and how our brains worked was did we realize that psychology and how we think became a really big thing. And neuroscience, not necessarily neurobiology. Mm-hmm. Neurobiology is really about systems and structures. Neuroscience, though, relates more to psychology, sort of, and how these action potentials and all of this biology stuff it's that we learn about starts to go into the realm of why these things happen and what they dictate, as opposed to just like, this is a thing and it happens, you know? What is a thought in a, like a physical sense? What is a in thought? In a physical sense? Like, it's crazy. I know you probably can't. No I was about to say, I really don't really have an question. answer for that. Someone like, somewhere might have a very educated sounding like, answer. Is but it like connections of all these synapses together firing in perfect sequence? And because this happens, I feel sad. Yeah. Or I feel happy because these particular neurons fire in a specific order. And it's... Yeah. And that does sort of go into the overlap between psychology and neurobiology and how, yes, we have a consciousness and we have thoughts, but our brain plays a major role in those. They're not separated as some people think. But it's consciousness biology. It, in essence, it is because chemical interactions and things that go on within our heads dictate those feelings and that psychology. So although they're separate subjects, they do tie themselves together in a really interesting way. I mean, I've said this before. When you get to the upper... They're not, they're not behind you. Uh, are they not? When you get to like the upper levels of science, I feel like it all becomes one subject. Like, physics and math blend together. Physics and chemistry. Physics and biology. Biology and chemistry. They all blend together into one subject. Yeah, so, with psychology you, you and neurobiology. Of, when you think of the basis of, I guess, the world, yeah. without getting, like, crazy deep, things like physics and chemistry determine, like, they the natural laws sciences. and things. And the other but sciences... physics is governed by math. The other sciences are explained through the other subjects. So physics is what dictates, I guess you can say, the laws of the land. But it is explained through chemistry and math and things like, but like that. I feel like in a way you also explain chemistry through physics. Because you get into like Coulomb's law is explained yeah. through physics. Yeah. But Coulomb's law explains so much of chemistry. And then math governs physics. Bri- the math bridges the two. But math yeah, isn't they, really a they, science. Yeah. It's more of a human creative Like way I said, to explanation. Explain. Yeah. yeah. An explanation for the things that are real and happening. Because like already. Isaac Newton invented calculus. He didn't invent gravity. Yeah, exactly. He discovered gravity. Well, he didn't discover gravity. He he. I don't even know. Theorized. He, he was the first to explain what it was. I guess and, and was able to worked. quantify it through physics. Well, technically, not even the first. I he, can't. He was the first to quantify the it through first. Physics. Yeah. Or through, I can't through even calculus. Remember. I was trying to give the other guy credit. But I can't remember his name. So I don't remember this unnamed guy. It's not something that they teach. Oh, like in high school. This? In high school, you wouldn't have learned it. But I learned it recently, and Jalen also talked about it in the class. There was another guy whose name I can't remember, who pretty much, for lack of a better word, discovered gravity and how it works before Isaac Newton. But he never documented his discoveries. But 
I think down the line, him and Isaac Newton had some sort of conversations about it. And obviously, Isaac Newton presented his research well, and yeah. findings. There's and so many so, stories throughout. Yeah. Like, you look at Tesla and Jefferson yeah. and whatever. Yeah, but besides the point, they're, all these things are sort of connected and they bridge. It's all one subject together. when you get to the advanced levels of This it. is uh, completely un- off topic, but sort of related to what we're saying. I saw this thing on Reddit today talking about, it was a would you rather question. Uh-huh. And it was saying, if you had the choice... Which of the, how many of them are there? Seven stones, seven infinity stones would you have if you could choose one? Okay. Well, you're going to have to explain this because I have no idea of any of them are. Oh my goodness. Okay, so. You don't have to explain all of them. You can just explain okay, your choice. So this is, this is the Avengers. I know. I'm aware Marvel. of that okay, concept. Okay, you're aware I'm, of that I just part. don't. Okay. I'm not so, hip to the terms. So with this, there are these infinity stones mm-hmm. and they are pretty much what dictate every aspect of the living world. So there's a space stone, a time stone, a reality stone, a power stone, a soul stone, so on and so forth. And they all kind of have control or dictate certain things. And just as a simple answer, I chose a time stone and that was the most popular answer Mm -hmm. because it seemed the most practical when you think about it in our daily lives. What does it allow you to do? You have complete and total control over time. Okay. But this is where it gets interesting because... There was a huge, not it wasn't even an argument, but a conversation <clears throat> in the thread talking about how all of the stones interact like cohesively. Although they all have individual roles, the others are required to get the most out of the main one. So, for example, the reality stone was one that some guy in the conversation brought up and how the reality stone allowed you to dictate reality, but... The scope of it was very narrow, but once you bring in the space stone, so now you're reaching out into different areas of space rather than just a simple localized area, you add in time, that becomes a thing. With the reality stone, Thanos in the movie didn't have the ability to dictate life or death with this reality stone, but once you factor in the soul stone, now... That becomes a factor. My synapses so, are firing in a way that makes me <laughs> makes my head want to blow up. But it's I'm following to, loosely. Needless to say, that also goes into how complicated it is to explain how all of our natural sciences that we actually have now relate. It's not as simple as just saying this thing does this, this thing does this, and that's that. They all interact and work together to make what is possible. Well, to explain something like. Biology, you go into a cell wall. Well, the cell wall are made of all these organic components, and these organic components are made of atoms, and atoms are made of these like quantum materials, which are governed by physics, which is governed by calculus. Which you could go into so many things, it, so many things. It, it goes, and that I went in like the quickest order you possibly could go. I yeah, I could have yeah. gone into overall you hybridization, it down even electronegativity. More yeah. I'm going to use yeah. a bunch of big words. Make myself sound smart on my podcast. You keep going. More words. <laughs> Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. But yeah, yeah. So it's all connected and crazy. And thinking back to neurobiology, psychology, neuroscience, all of our actions are dictated by some sort of chemical response in our brains. But is it though? I mean, that is a whole other subject. Then you're, now you're, now you're getting, back into philosophy. That's getting into the realm of philosophy, 
theology, like religion type stuff too. Is that the soul? Is that the soul? Is that free will? Is and that. Oh, we can't go down the rabbit hole. Not even. Oh, man, we're, we're really getting there. This is <laughs> and this is why I study this because this is so interesting to me. Yeah. And I'd like to be able to do this forever. I guess. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. This is also before you know secular secularity was a, such a big thing in our society. Religion. Yeah, this was state, the point of religion. Religion and state were so closely related. You know, science was explained through religion. And, you know, with... I just lost my train of thought. A <laughs> train of thought. Oh! Thought. <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy. You had a glitch in the neuron. I, I really signaling. did. I really did. It was... Oh, how... Is our... And I talked about this in an intro philosophy class. But is our soul separate from our brain and the rest of our mind i guess you know so is first our, of all does the soul exist and yes, if it does, does, is does it separate a solar from the consciousness exist and if it does is it a separate entity from our brain and all of the chemical and physical aspects and of if us not, as beings and what if it's is not it? where is it yeah where does it come from that that is oh, my brain. That is a major topic of philosophy and something that's still argued to this day. But like I said, the connection between that philosophy and then psychology and science is really interesting and a weird thing to think about. Interesting. You have someone. I think it was uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson talks about. He's not afraid. Neil deGrasse Tyson is a very much uh, vocal about being an atheist. So he's just like, yeah, yeah bury me in the ground. Let me decompose, go back to nature. He has an interesting thought of it. He's like, it never bothered me. I think it was him. I'm, this is probably someone else I'm attributing. Either to. way, though. He might have quoted someone like yeah. he always does. And he says, uh, it, it never inconvenienced me one bit before I existed. And I don't think it will after. Yeah. I was like, ooh, that's... Okay, Neil. Relax. Yeah. It, My brain's going to blow up. It's it's a, a scary thought, I guess, to say yeah. the least, but that's why conversations like that are kind of important because no matter what you believe, whether you are religious or not, I think that there is a place for religion in the conversation mm -hmm. of science. Because I think religion and, like we said, the soul and the consciousness, all of that kind of ties together. Mm -hmm. and that's so what we used to. How do, you, how do you interpret things that, you know, our interpretation of things especially with science, has changed a lot over the years, but some of the things we still believe are based in things like religion. Right. So how can you separate the two but still hold beliefs in a thing that you may say you don't believe? Well, a lot of people say, show me the data, and until we can quantify the soul or the spirit or whatever, yeah, yeah. religion is the only way people have to explain it. Yeah. And so the hardcore scientists immediately dismiss whatever the data can't quantify. Yeah. And... Yeah, and we 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 could really go on a tangent. I'm tiptoeing a line here because I don't want to be partial. Yeah, on one side of I know, that. I know. I'm trying to show yeah. like yeah. neutrality and here. We could really go crazy when it comes to that. But one thing that just popped in my mind when you said, "Can we quantify the soul and things?" is how things like psychology and religion too, but specifically psychology in this example I'm about to give are so interesting but unknown mm -hmm. that it's something that people like to hear or talk about. And I think immediately of movies and TV shows and how psychological thrillers are such a big genre. But 
psychology in general. Can't do it. Psychology in general is something that's really touched upon a lot that you don't even think of. A show that came out beginning of this summer, I want to say like May or April, on Amazon Prime. It's called Upload. If you've heard of it, give it a watch. I really enjoyed it. It's uh, free if you have Amazon Prime. Not that we're sponsored or anything. But hey, it's a show. Hey, talk. Jeff. It's hey, Bezos. Hey. Hit me up. Hey. Show us that all billionaires aren't bad. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, but... I'll um, your boy. But really... I got tuition to pay. Yeah, but really... Um, the show talks about what happens after death. And in the world of this show, people's consciousness are uploaded, hence the name, mm-hmm. to this virtual world. Oh, this guy. The whole topic I could talk about. Go ahead. Where they, where they live their lives as themselves, but they're dead. But they have a bridge between this virtual world and the real this world. This is the same idea I've so, had before. Yes, they have a bridge between this virtual world and the real world so that like, if your unnamed person that you know passes on, you can still interact with them by seeing them on a TV screen living in this virtual world as just a consciousness or soul. But they are still coherent. They still remember all of their memories from their life. And they can still interact with you. And then... With that, the show got into the realm of like um, virtual reality and physical interaction between people of the real world and people of this virtual or spirit type world. And it, it was a really interesting show on top of you know the plot line and things that are developed throughout it. And I definitely recommend anybody to watch it, not even if you're not interested in psychology necessarily. If you just want to watch a good show that was interesting, I need a royalty I think check. You could. I need I need a worthy check from every minute. Yeah, I yeah. I wrote this paper freshman year. Mm-hmm. Shout out engineering back back in the day. But we're not gonna bash engineering in this podcast. I promise. We're not <laughs> thinking about it. Okay, I'm not. So engineering grand challenges. One mm-hmm. of them is uh, reengineering the brain, right? Yes. Then they had virtual realities enhancing virtual enhancing reality. Enhancing virtual reality. So I combined the two for a paper I wrote one time, and I said, "What if?" When people die, they either upload them in that form. You were able to re-engineer the human brain and be able to download someone's brain. And the show goes into that too. Okay, so so what if you were to do this, but along with enhanced augmented and virtual reality. So scratch the dead people part for a second. Yeah. I live here. You live in California in 20 years. We want to go hang out at Crabtree Valley Mall. Can, you, can I put on this helmet that – Can we both put on one? I live in freaking – Wisconsin. Yeah. Somewhere. You put on this helmet. Or Can we something. both go hang out in Crabtree Valley Mall and it feels like we're there and we do whatever while we're there and then we come out and we're back. And then the case of that is if we are there, are we virtual projections or are we real beings well, okay. there? Not but, real beings. Then, like, not real beings, but like are we there in a sense of like there is a holographic projection of us walking through or are we just or in a virtual world are we in a virtual world not existent to people that are actually there right that's something that the show talked about too and they talked about can we pull someone out of this upload and back into the real world and i'm not going to go into it cuz i don't want to spoil the show but they also talk about that so not just the upload but also the download and the implications of bringing someone back to life in essence but then my thoughts of so time is we talk about like Einstein or whatever we talk about Newton and Newton Einstein evolutionized that's what Einstein's famous for so gra- gravity and relativity time is relative so can you take an augmented reality experience 
and change the relativity of time. So where you feel like you just spent a week with me and Raleigh, good old days. But we were only you there for 10 minutes. You take your headset off and it's 10 minutes. And then at that point, you could take someone's lifespan of 70 years and stretch it to effectively feel in like 1,000 or yeah. 10,000. And oh, I don't, see, I don't see. want to keep hammering this point. But I really do love psychology and the way we think and how yeah. things work. I feel like your brain would blow up at that point. <laughs> and this is something that's already sort of not necessarily a, a reality, but something that's talked about and studied in like simple form. So when you think of virtual reality and VR games and VR interaction, how people will go into a virtual reality world and they'll interact with their friends and they'll do it for extended periods of time. And how when they come out of it, they feel different. Dissociated, dissociated. from reality. Yeah. And it's like, how much could we alter their perception of the real world based on the, their immersion right. in this virtual world? Would you get some and sort of like crippling disease yeah. if you were in a virtual world for what effectively felt like a year, but yeah. you came out just 10 minutes later? And there's so many things that can change this because... We already have such a strong basis or hold on time as we know it in the real world because in a year you might grow this much hair or age this much right. or these certain things that we like attribute to the time that we already know happen. So if you were in an area where time was sped up but you were so immersed that you didn't notice the difference, like you said, how does that affect change when you know I've been in this fake world for a year and now I come out and my beard is the same length that it was when I went in or you know I'm not even I'm hungry. not thirsty I'm yes. not hungry I'm not thirsty and, and, yeah. and then that also plays a role of how is immersion made more realistic if the needs of the real world aren't factored in there are people who did YouTube videos on this too that I watched that were really interesting where they lived in VR yeah I watched a guy like, who remade his like bedroom or something yeah and he lived in VR for a month, I think, I think, a, I think one guy did a month, but another guy did a week or something. And what they did was they set up their little houses or apartments so that, like you said, it was just like the virtual world so that they could go and get food in their real apartment and eat and things like that. But then also when they would go and sit back down in their chair or go stand in their designated area in their room, they could go out and play VR games or explore this virtual world and interact with other people. And it's like... So they could, they're they're physically in the same spot, but they're traveling all throughout wherever. Yeah, but then <sighs> there's so many things. Like I said, immersion is such a crazy thing because, like I said, with you could have a hyper realistic virtual reality setup, but if you were to be in this setup for an extended period of time, eventually you're going to have to find a way to bring yourself back to the real world because you have to go and reach into your fridge and grab a sandwich or something. Unless you just have people sitting on IVs with freaking catheters and whatever. Yeah, yeah, so that they don't have to. But then are you even, uh, God, now yeah. you're getting into ethics. And... Yeah, and then this. Oh, my brain. Yeah, and studying the results of something like that would be super interesting, though. Well, I think, like, how, like, messed up is your head after you have, like, a lucid dream? Or you have like a hyper-realistic dream where you're in a dream state for like what feels like a day or two and you wake up. And the first like hour of yourself being awake, it's just just realizing yourself in reality yeah. again. 
Where I was going with the whole uploading consciousness thing, though, is that people might never die. Yeah. Because if you could upload the entire conscious, if the conscious is like quantifiable, there's no yeah. soul, if, assuming those things are true, um, if you can quantify it and put it in a computer, you could create immortality as long yeah. as no one pulls exactly. the plug on the computer. Exactly. And, you know, if it's, if it's a cloud-based service, like, even if they pull the plug, you know, unless this whole infrastructure collapses... And then at that point, you just create a space station and kick it off into space. Yeah. Oh, God, my brain. That, like I said, Upload, you should, I think you should watch Upload because I think you would really enjoy it because it touches on literally everything we've talked about for the last 15 or so minutes. Yeah. And there's just so many things that go along with it. Like, if you can quantify and upload a consciousness, how does something that we don't even understand yet become lines of code? That we uh, put yeah. into a like device. obviously we're nowhere near yeah. this level yeah. of innovative yeah. technology, but like a hundred years that it ago, could be possible. A hundred years ago, we had barely barely flown an airplane, and now you know the fact that we can have a thought that it could somehow be possible oh, is yeah. kind of crazy. I mean, go to, go show an iPhone to someone a thousand years ago, and this, like I said, ties back into our is our solar consciousness separate from our brain? Because if it's separate. That brings about a whole other set of problems. My brain hurts. But I feel like if they're together, this is just pure speculation at this point. But I feel like if they're together, your brain and your consciousness or soul, then I feel like it has to be possible for us to somehow find a way to extend life in some way. Because Beyond the at the end of the at the end of the day, all of our brains' inner workings and interactions are just chemical responses. Right. So. If we can put our brain in an environment where it can survive outside of our body and we can replicate these chemical responses. But you're suggesting using the physical brain or recreating the brain itself I'm through thinking, computer programming? I'm thinking prolonging the life of the physical brain by taking it out of the body and putting okay, it so in an ideal situation. The paradox, the, the brain in the jar paradox. Are you just a brain in a jar being fed these sensations? Can our brain, if it's being pumped with oxygen-rich blood, how long can it survive outside of our body? You know. Well, have you ever heard that paradox before? So there's like the are we a simulation, which yeah, is whatever. I, yeah, but yeah. then there's the brain in the jar, which is how do you know you're not just a brain floating in a jar? Yeah. It's being fed all of the sensations. If that's the case, it's so weird though. How do you know someone isn't just playing my voice in a speaker across the room from your brain floating in a jar right now? But see, the thing about This is why I don't do is, drugs, people. Because see, if I did drugs, the, like, it the, would be bad. The thing about that is, though, how our interactions... Uh, or there's se there several brains in a room linked I together. See, I don't even want to start talking about it because I don't want to sit here and just brain dump on the microphone for 45 minutes. Because that's what's going to happen. Please do. Best that's content ever. That's what's going to happen if I start going into this. But, like... You know what really, really hurts my head? Hmm. Like, when I think about this, it gives me almost, like, full-on anxiety attacks. Yeah. What existed before and after the universe? What was there? If you go past the edge of the universe, you're flying your little ship past the edge mm. of the universe, do you hit a wall? Or you, what, what's there? Uh, it, it, what happens at the cessation of the entire universe as we know it? It negates everything that we know and understand, oh. honestly. This is. Do you remember that time that you came back from work and Jalen said, "I wish you could have watched this video I just showed Justin and Josh." Do you remember that? No. Well, we watched this video talking about 
the universe and time, and it was an exponential time lapse. So I think it was every five seconds, the speed of time, or the speed that time was moving in the video doubled. Okay. And so this is a 30-minute video. By the end of the video, we are jumping billions upon billions of years every second. And it was pretty much going through like what would... What scientists have proposed is going to happen in our universe right. between now and the end of time, which that phrase in of itself is a, like a paradox, just to think about. Yeah, because time is relative. <laughs> I assume it is this... How can something be finite and infinite at the same time? And I use time to describe oh. that. Man, man. This, yeah. <laughs> this is literally like... This episode was plucked out of a stoner's podcast and thrown into the How Did I Get Here podcast. Like, I don't even smoke weed. <laughs> I've never done it in my it's, life. It's, uh, man. I don't even know. But the video was really interesting. Was it like this long entropy-driven process of yes. like molecular randomness? Yeah, and yeah. Here we go, dropping big words again, by the way. Yeah, and it went, yes, I'm smart. Tell me I'm smart. And it went into like what's going to happen in the future. How is our universe going to continue and when will it reach its end? What would that possibly look like? I assume it's like eventually the protons themselves break down to their fundamental pieces, which break down to their fundamental pieces, and everything is perfectly dispersed and random. And in that process, there's also black, lots of black holes. Right, and, and zero energy yes. at that point. Zero net energy. Absolutely yeah. zero across. Well, and just as close as you can get to absolutely zero across and, the entire universe. And the craziest part is even though that was billions upon hundreds and millions of billions of years... In the future, in this simulation that they had, it's like kind of a scarier, daunting thought. Like, how can this world that we live in and exist in that is energy and entropy driven stop? Every thought, every moment anyone had ever lived and ever worked for anything would no like, longer matter. Like, everything that we think of now or do in some sense, is based in heat and energy. Right. But apparently we're going to get to a point where there is no longer energy. Like how? You reach a point of minimum energy because maximum entropy and take him one-on-one if you want to know what that means. But, oh God. My brain. And yeah, like, we after the video ended... I mean, it makes everything feel insignificant, at, of course. At, well, at we first. are. We yeah. are very insignificant. But then on top of that, it just... I don't even know. There's no way to really describe the feeling you get from it. And I feel like some people, you know, they don't care. You're less than a they, speck of dust. Some people don't care. They'll watch that and they'll be like, oh, whatever. But then I just think like, dang, my, I don't know, 60 to 100 years here don't matter or mean mean anything. In, 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 in theory. And then this also comes back into church and state. Well, but <laughs> from the physical sense, yeah. At some point, someone will think about Alexander the Great for the last time, and no one will ever think about his name again. He will no longer exist, as mm -hmm. far as we know. I don't care if you become the most famous person in the history of humanity, and they they erect statues of you in every city across the planet. At that point, where everything the universe is over, it doesn't matter. Man, what you just said—it made me think of. It's some random like rap song I listened to like yesterday. 
I can't remember what song it is. You can but, look at the recently played. But um, one of the uh, it wouldn't be that recent though. I I listen to music like twenty four. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, the intro to the song uh, talks about fame versus notoriety, and how anybody can be famous, but you're only remembered if you leave a legacy. You know. And that notoriety kind of plays a role. Like, if you, like, forever and ever, as long as humans exist, people will know the name Isaac Newton because it will be taught as something, as a person who defined something that is steadfast and true, I guess. But, like, what is legacy if people aren't around to carry it? And that's, the situation with exactly, is over. Exactly, that's my point. Oh, well, oh, you're talking... Everything you you're could talking, do... You're talking way down the line. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Everything yeah. you could ever do will at some point become insignificant. Yeah, exactly. At some point. It's just a matter of how long it lasts or when do you reach that point of insignificance. There will be a point in time in the, in the universe where the best day of your life or the most significant thing you ever do in your entire life will no longer matter. There is a and point how in time. long that is depends on what you do. But there is, for everybody, there's a point in time where it won't matter anymore. Not even just that, but even like in a... Here we are narrow, using time again. In a narrower scope, like, even though we can claim not to be selfish people, and in essence, we're selfish beings because we live for ourselves. Well, it's biology. It's biology, yeah. Supposedly. Yeah. But uh, my brain. There, there's going to come a time where Justin Allenby does not exist, and, and nobody knows who And everything is. you ever affected will no longer exist. Yeah. Like... People that came, not I'm not even talking way in the future. I'm talking maybe six, seven generations of people. Like, there's going to come a time where these kids that have a fraction of my DNA have no clue who I am. And that's weird to think about. Unless we get into some really advanced sciences where they can recreate your ancestors. But even then, like, oh, I, God. you know, you can, you can do stuff what like... What if you could pull DNA from yourself and, like, recreate your ancestors? Like, they could use cloning techniques and yeah. just, like, boom, there. Yeah. Obviously, they wouldn't have the complete genome, but yeah. what if you can apply the entire genome using sequence? Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Don't take science classes. They make you think about weird things. Mm-hmm. And then when you pair them with psychology and philosophy, oh, man, you're in for a ride. This is why I can't sleep at night. I literally think about this stuff all the time. Non-stop. Constantly. This is dangerous. It's just the way it is. This is why I say I don't do drugs. Yeah. Mm. I probably have a bad trip if I think like this. Yeah, I I definitely wouldn't recommend recommend it. <laughs> what have you tried DMT, bro? <laughs> Man. Yeah, it's... It's crazy. That's like... Man. I'm going to say it one more time in this podcast. Psychology really is crazy, and it really is like everything when you think about it. Because I mean, we started this conversation talking about ergonomics and human factors, and we ended talking about existence, the end of the universe, and, and <laughs> philosophical beliefs. Because psychology bridges all of those things in a social aspect, I guess you could say, or like in an aspect that we understand, as opposed to a physical and natural one. This is something I think. About. I think about these things all the time. Almost daily, I have this kind of thoughts in my head. Mm-hmm. I get so overwhelmed by thinking about like the end of everything, mm-hmm. or like what existed before. Like, okay, you explain the Big Bang. It's this big compact mass that exploded, but like, what caused that to happen? 
Where did the mask come from? How did I get here? And on that bombshell, <laughs> that's all for this week. <laughs> oh my god, that was perfect. Oh my goodness. My head. Okay. Just a quick crash course in craziness. Any parting words of wisdom? Any parting words of wisdom? Man. If you like to think, then take a psychology course. I would, I would recommend... I know that it's not as big of a thing in high school, but in college, I think everybody should take a psychology course of some sort. I think it's required, but I'm not sure. It's required for certain majors. Okay. For STEM majors, a psychology course is not required. Oh, really? Okay. But for a lot of business majors, for pretty much every humanities and social science major, it's required. But yeah, for like certain like STEM, like math, engineering, it's not a requirement. So but I think everybody should take one, maybe two, just because you have to take intro psych usually. But taking intro psych and then like a higher level psychology course or a philosophy course, if you need to satisfy a GEP requirement or uh, what's another word that's not GEP? An elective. Yeah, an elective requirement at whatever school you go to. Take a psychology and a philosophy course. Okay, but let's say our listener isn't in college. Do you have? Isn't in college? Let's Even say, then, any YouTube channels you can recommend? Just from the standpoint of psychology, honestly, I can't think so. Like, but as far as like mind-numbing, mind-numbing things like Vsauce, yeah, yeah, even ASAP Science is pretty interesting. More so on the realm of engineering and science, you know, you got guys like Mark Rober, Smarter Every Day, great guy, really good YouTube channels. But on the basis of psychology and just thought-provoking stuff, I wish I had a better answer. Honestly, I need to find some. Okay. But yeah. That was crazy. It was. My head is kind of going to blow up now. We're going to be sitting with these thoughts for a while. Hopefully, everybody listening is also. If you guys have any interesting thoughts or interjections with anything that we talked about this episode, please. Please let us know. I don't know about Nathan. I don't know if he wants to handle all of that stuff or go into all that stuff. I would love to, but only in small doses. Only in small doses, but please DM or reach out to us because I could talk about this all day and I will definitely. Hold a conversation with you relating to anything like this. Also, if you enjoy it, you can share it with a friend. Share it with a friend. Or two. Or I two. know it's been a couple episodes since our brother Josh has been on, but don't forget, there is a fee for listening to this podcast. And the fee is sharing it with one friend. It is one friend. Just one. Just one. If you share really it enjoy a... it, share it on your story. Leave it a review. Follow Leave it a review. I don't know. All those good things. What are the typical influencer things people say? Like, comment, share, like, comment, subscribe. subscribe. Yeah, but you can't do any of those. Turn on posts. You can turn on notifications. Oh, there you go. Okay. But also just follow Nathan on Instagram and you can get notifications that way. Okay. That's it. Bye. All right.